angry? What concerns you? What disturbs you? So what does it really mean when it says, let not your heart be troubled? Me personally, as a believer, I am looking to the return of Christ with great expectation and anticipation and knowing that we can have peace and it's not just a future promise. Let's turn to John 14 and 27. But let's go up just a little bit farther to 26 because this is where this chapter, and it's something about when you read these red letters and you read them out loud, how they really um, empower you. For me, I know that's what happens as I read John 14 every day. And this is where the Father sends the counselor, the counselor, excuse me, meaning the Holy Spirit. So let's go to 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. So he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So he's talking there, he's leaving us. So what are we really afraid of? I can remember several things that I have been afraid of that through the Holy Spirit, through the work of the Holy Spirit, I was able to persevere through that very thing. The first thing that comes to mind, and a lot of you may not know this because I don't know that I've shared it. When I started driving all over North Carolina, I used to, the enemy used to try to put visions before me of me being in a wreck, laying on a gurney because I don't like to be in confined spaces. So as I was driving down to um, Murphy, North Carolina, down the winding road, the enemy kept showing me a car wreck. And I just finally had to say, Lord, I trust you, Lord, I trust you, Lord, I trust you. And I'm telling y'all, I probably said it an hour and 30 minutes because I was halfway down there until I got there. But my husband probably remembers this. When we would go to Atlanta, I would not drive. The cars just go by you like this. And I'm like, I, I can't do it. But once I got through that and, and, and I broke, I felt the break. I felt the break when it, that spirit was broken. I felt it and I was able to start driving in Atlanta. Now I can weave in and out of the traffic in Atlanta and go along with, but that was one of the fears that I had to get over. So what are we really afraid of? Are we afraid to love? Are we afraid to serve? Are we afraid that God won't follow through on his promise? I refuse to let rejection be a stronghold over my life. Because what God has been showing me through my marriage that I think you're really afraid to love. I was like, when he showed me that, I'm like, really? So 
I actually had the attitude of take it or leave it attitude. I could take this fine gentleman right here, take him or leave him. And as we continue to grow and as I continue to um, develop my relationship with God, I realized that I wasn't showing him the love that he deserves. Because God loves us without any fault, without any, um, just he loves us, no matter what we do. So I, you know, I, I, I'm, not, I'm sure my husband probably has cried out to, you know, I wish she shows me some love. And God has heard his cry because I realized that some of my actions was not showing love. And so I actually was afraid because the Bible talks about, and I forget which scripture Give and it shall be given. Give and it shall be given. Pressed down, shaken up. I, I don't remember the rest and I didn't write it down. But I'm supposed to love him even though at that moment he may not be showing love. That I have a responsibility as, as Christ. I want people to see Christ in me. Well, I don't get a chance to compromise. So let's go to John 14 and 15 right quick we're in John so let's go to 15 it says if ye love me keep my commandments then let's go over to Deuteronomy 11:22, and then we're going to get into the meat of what God has downloaded to me because it's it took me going through Psalms 91 to understand what he wanted me to really work on Deuteronomy 11 and 22. For if ye shall diligently keep all these commandments, which I command you to do them, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to cleave unto him. So one thing is under his wings will I trust. I've got four headers, but I may not get to all of them, and I mean um, um, outlines. One thing that we have to do is we have to rely on the Holy Spirit to be able to stay under the wings and trust of the Lord. And so if I don't get into that because what he really wants me to speak today, um, we may not get into Then he wants us to speak God's truth. So that's the next section. And then he wants us to use his scriptures. So let's talk about the Holy Spirit a little bit. Jesus told his disciples that he would be leaving them and they were frantic. As you look, um, they was trying to figure out the who, the what, the when, and why. The ideal of Jesus leaving them had them afraid. So if you don't learn who God is, if we don't learn through the stories in the Bible and how to follow him and all his ways, we will never escape living in fear. Finding peace is not on our own doing. We actually need the indwelling Christ controlling all things to work in our hearts, to work in our minds, to teach us peace. But it can be challenging if you don't practice relying on the Holy Spirit. I don't always get it right, but I tell you, he quickens me every time I don't get it right very quickly. And 
one thing you have to, and he quickens you when you continuously to feed your spirit every day. Matthews 4 and 4, we're going to go there right quick. Because we can be tempted by a lot of things. But one thing that is for sure that when Jesus was in the wilderness and he and the um, tempt, tempter came, he says in verse 3, And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But Jesus answered and he said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So you've got to speak his truth. Have you ever tried to protect yourself from all the bad things that could happen? I believe we all have at some times. It's like trying to keep the, the whole law God knows. So one thing that in this trying time that we're going through right now is speaking Psalms 91 over yourself. Reading Psalms 91 every day. Now I realize why God really wanted me to learn how to recite Psalms 91 because he really wanted me to understand knowing that I would be speaking during fast week and I was obedient to his word. So let's go to Psalms 91 because we're going to break this whole thing down. In my Bible, the header says the secret place of security. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Our Heavenly Father has a secret place in his arms that protects us from the storms raging in the world around us. That secret place is literally, the, is literally in verse 1, he lists out part of the condition before he mentions the promise. Included in this part, that because our part must come first in order to abide in the shadow of the Almighty. We must choose to dwell in the shelter of the Most High. What that really means is we need to have a relationship with him. If we don't have a relationship with God, we can't dwell in the high places. That means that we must invest our time to make it very personal. I know that my God, I, I, you know, there's things that happen throughout the day that I said, God, you're funny. Thank you, Lord, that I'm not even thinking about that he provides for me. So let's break down verse 2. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. My God in him will I trust. If you notice in this verse, God actually answers back. Or we're answering back to God. We're not, so we're told to just think, not think about the word, also say the word. So I want you all to go through this with me. I want us to say, if you're looking at your Bibles, King James Version. I want us to say it, and we're going to say it two times. Because I want you to feel how when you say it, it's something about that refuge. It's, it, it's just something for me. So let's say it. I will say of the Lord... He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in him will I trust. One more time, because sometimes you have to keep saying it. You have to keep saying it when you're afraid of something. So let's go and do it one more time. 
I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in him will I trust. Joel 3.10 tells the weak to say, I am a mighty man. We found great, I have found great men of God in the Bible, such as David, Joshua, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, declaring their confession of faith out loud in the dangerous situation. But did you notice what began to happen when they began to say the words out loud? You are my Lord, my God. It is in you that I put my total trust. Power is released when you say it out loud. God himself becomes our defensive site for us against all invading enemies. He is personally our protection. The promise of protection can be found throughout this Bible. But if you notice in Psalms 91, he, the, this is where the only place I've seen it, but some of the Bible scholars, they may have seen it other places, where he's forming a covenant writing through the Holy Spirit. Now, that's powerful because in this Psalms 91, he also has seven promises, and we're going to point that out. The enemy, let's look at three. Surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisy and pestilence. The enemy knows what we most likely hook us, and he knows exactly what thought to put into our minds to lure us into his trap. And we have to be careful. Corinthians 2 and 11 says we're not to be ignorant of the schemes of the enemy. God only deliver us from the snare laid by Satan, but according to the last part of the verse, he deliver us also from the deadly pestilence. And when I looked in the dictionary, pestilence are fatal diseases, an epic that hits the mass of people. Any deadly disease that attaches itself to one body with the intent to destroy. But God says, I will deliver you from the deadly diseases that comes with the intent of destroying. So let's continue on and look at verse 4. He shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shall thy trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Now, as I'm reading this, you might think, how can I dwell in the shelter of God? Because I messed up. Because I've fallen. I've fallen short too many times. I feel guilty. I'm unworthy. God knows all about our weaknesses. That's why he gave his only begotten son. John 3, 16, 17 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed should, should not perish but have everlasting life. For God not sent his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So we must not point out what we've done or have done, but rather what Jesus has done for us. He died on the cross, bearing our sins. So we can dwell in his shelter by faith in God's grace. Let's go on down to verse 5. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the air that flighteth by day. The first terror by night in this scripture, as I studied this out, includes all the evils that come through man. 
You got kidnapping, you got robbery, you got sex trafficking, you got rape, you got murder, terrorism, wars. It is it, and so it comes from what man can do to you. God is saying you will not be afraid of any of those things because they will not approach you. If you pray this over your family, you pray this over yourself, you pray this over your household and your children. I know that I, I was praying. I didn't really know about Psalms 91, but I trust God and I gave God my son to God. There's many stories I've already told about that. And he's on a right path. He got to keep going. But he has to learn how to trust God, not me. I couldn't do it for him. It is the goodness of God that he makes provision before we ever ask him. That is not for everyone. It's for those who know and believe the truth. You got to believe that. Over and over, Jesus tells us in the Bible, do not fear. Why do you think Jesus continually remind us not to be afraid? It is all through the word that we are protected. So how do we keep from being afraid? Fear comes when we think we're responsible for bringing children the protection over us. When we think we're responsible for protecting our spouses. When we think we're responsible for protecting those that we love. If we just believe hard enough, maybe they'll be protected. Well, that's wrong thinking. The protection is already there. We got to know and we got to believe it. It's been provided whether we receive it or not. Faith is simply the choice to receive what Jesus has already done. What he's already done. The error is something that pierces or wounds spiritually, physically, mentally, or emotionally. On this spiritual battle zone, specifically enemy assignment, Everybody has an assignment. We got an assignment, and that is to be, we're called to Christ to disciple people into Jesus Christ. What, so the enemy assignments, they're directed towards our life to defeat us, to keep us bound, to keep us not following the word of God. These are the errors that are deliberately sent by the enemy and meticulously aimed at the spot that will cause the most damage. You heard me say that deep down inside, I didn't know that I was afraid to love. I, but in master class, um, I think it's the cross, when you talk about the hand, I can't go on tradition of what love was. I can't go on what my experience is. God wants me to love like him, and that's nothing what I've seen. And I'm excited about he, that he revealed that to me. So he, the enemy targets areas where you might be losing your temple. You're still easy to get offended. Or an area of rebellion or fear. Think about it. The enemy doesn't attack in areas where you're built up strong. He attacks where you're still struggling. And yes, struggling. Think I have to say something. Think I have to say the last word. He attacks us when we're still struggling. That's why we must run to God. And when we do battle, but see, I knew enough to know, God, that's not how I'm supposed to be. So, yes, I've gone stretched out, prostrate down in the living room floor, crying out, Lord, help me. 
because I can't do this in my own strength. He has promised that the arrows will not hit his target. God, and so let's go to six, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. God knew the pestilence and the fear that will be running rapid in these days. The world is having fatal epics, epidemic, excuse me, that are hitting people by the thousands. So God catches our attention by repeating this promise. Look at it. He says it in verse 3. He says pestilence, noisy and pestilence. And then he says it again in verse 6. You don't have to be afraid of the deadly pestilence. We have to renew our thinking before we can comprehend the fact that we do not have to be afraid of sickness and disease that are, uh, or any epidemic in the world today. Our inheritance is not limited to what he's handed us, meaning handed us, sorry, I glued my pages there, down to us genetically. So our inheritance is not what has been had, handed down to us genetically from our ancestors. Our inheritance can be what Jesus provides for us when we believe the word and put it to work. Read Genesis. Yes, the enemy may try to cause sudden surprises to catch us unaware, to try and knock us down, but God is faithful in his word. It's true no matter what the circumstances look like. Then he talks about destruction. The destruction takes in the evils, evils over which mankind has no control. These things that the world calls acts of God, the tornadoes, the floods, the hurricanes, the fire, God very plainly tells us that we're not to fear destruction. These natural disasters are not coming from God. Mark 4.39, Jesus rebuked the storm in Mark 4.39, and it became perfectly calm. So that's a demonstration that God is not the author of such things. Otherwise, Jesus would never have contradicted his father by rebuking something sent by him. So think about that. There is no place in this physical world where we can go to be safe from every destruction, every natural disaster. We can never anticipate what might come when we least expect it. But mo no matter where you are in the world, God says to run to his shelter where you will not be afraid of the destruction. It will not approach you. So if you're obedient to verse 1 and 2, dwelling in his shelter and abide in his shelter, the shadow, of course, you have to dwell and abide in him. We cannot dwell and abide in him apart from Jesus. Praise God because the shedding of blood, praise Jesus for the shedding of the blood on the cross. It's now been made possible. We can receive everything that God has already provided. The secret is knowing that everything for which God has made provision is clearly spelled out and defined in the word of God. If you can find where God has offered it, you can, we can have it. It is never God holding back. His provision has already, they're waiting to be received. It is finished. When he finished, it's finished. We just got to walk in it. 
He, in, in Philippians 1 and 6, be confident of this very thing. He that which have begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So do we have the courage to trust God's word enough to believe that he, men that he literally means what he says in this word? Only those who believe in God with their mouth and their heart will hold fast to the promises will profit nevertheless it is available. And to the measure we trust, we will in the same measure reap the benefits of the trust. I think about what's going on now. God knew that there would be times where we hear so many negative reports, see so many um, negative things, and encounter so much danger around us that we would feel overwhelmed. I was overwhelmed the other day. I had not watched anything on the news about the um, killing, but I actually, I heard the singing in, um, of the funeral that was going on for George, and I broke down like a baby. I didn't know that it had an effect on me. I didn't know that. And I start weeping and I start praying for everybody's heart that is hurting right now, for everybody's heart that may be angry that we will turn our ways, for everybody that is feeling this. And I don't know, maybe it's because I have a son. I don't know, but it broke me down to where I was bawling like a baby for the nation. That is why he warned us ahead of time. We have choice to make. We can either choose to run to his shelter in faith and it will not approach us or we can passively live our lives the way the world does not realizing there is something we can do about it. The change that we want to see, it begins with me. I want to be loved. I want to feel love, but that change has to begin with me. I want to see the nation change. I want to see people turn their lives to God, but they have to see the change in me. They have to see the love of Jesus coming out of me. So the change begins with every one of us in here. Instead of pointing your eye or pointing your finger at someone else to make the change, you start with the change. So let's go on. That wasn't in the words. Um, to Psalms 91. Oh, um, I'm sorry. Let me get back on here. Psalms 91 is the preventive measure that God has given to his children. We are his children against every evil known to mankind. No place else in the word are all the protection promises, including help from the angels, as well as promises ensuring our authority accumulated in one covenant to offer such a total package for living in this world. This Psalms 91, y'all, these words are not written for inspiration. They are for protection. When I started really um, reciting Psalms 91 every day, I mean, there is no fear. Lord, remove any unhidden fear. And that's where he showed me what he showed me. Psalms 91.10 says, oh, I didn't, wait a minute. We, we ain't down there yet. I'm going to miss eight and everything. Um, A thousand shall fall at thy side, 
and 10,000 at thy right hand, but shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shall thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the most high thy habitation, thou shalt no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. Now look at this. Are you worried about a family member? Are you worried about your children? This part in 91, in this particular one, 10, addresses that very concern. So let's look. After God repeats the part, the condition in verse 9, he says, Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, I've made the Lord my refuge. He's the even most high, thy habitation. That it emphasizes what the promise is in verse 10. Nor will it come near your dwelling place. It won't come near my house. Point, and, and so when you look here, the Bible makes the covenant more comprehensive than just about ourselves. This is an opportunity for us to exercise faith, not only for ourselves, but also for the protection of our church, our family members, our pastors, our children, those that we come in contact with. When our hearts are steadfast and we're trusting in his faithfulness to fulfill his promise, we will not be constantly afraid that something bad is going to happen to one of our family members. Some people don't leave home or don't drive over bridges because they're afraid. I know some people. They will not come to Charlotte because they got to ride down the mountain because they are afraid. I know some people that won't go across the bridges because they are afraid. We can't be in bondage if we want to live the life that God has for us, this life of fulfillment, this life of joy, this life of peace. So let's go to verse 11. For he shall give, I love it, he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. I know the angels clear out the highways and byways for me. I know that because there are times that I'm just like, I'm like, Lord, I thank you for letting me get here, you know, but I thank him for that. When you read this verse, you have to give it really some thought, not just skim over it. Give it the magnitude of really what it says. He gives us angels charge concerning me, you. When you take charge of something, that puts yourself in a place of leadership. The angels are taking charge. You've been telling everyone what to do and how to do. If angels are taking charge over things that concern us. God has given those angels, not the circumstances, but the authority on the act of our behalf. That same truth is repeated in Hebrews 1 and 14. Let's go there right quick. I think we got some time because we trailing this on down. Hebrews 1 and 14. And it says, nope, that's not it. Yes, and they not all ministering spirits set forth to minister for, okay, let's go up, 13. But to, mm, 
Yeah, 13. But to which of the angels said he at any time, sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? When we look to God as the source of our protection and provision, the angels are constantly rendering us aid in taking charge of our affairs. Psalms 103.20 says it's angels mighty and strong. Obey the voice of the word as we proclaim God's word. The angels hasten, hasten to carry it out. Faith is what releases this promise to work on our behalf. Angelic protection is just another way, one of the unique ways in which God has provided protection. His charge angel, he has charged angels to guard us in all our ways. Let's look at 13 right quick. And again, I will put, nope, got to go over to Psalms, Psalms 13. Psalms 91, 13. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and the adder, the young lion and the dragon, shall thy trample under feet. You will see here that God takes up for the subject of being protected by him. He puts emphasis on the authority in his name that has been given to us as believers. That's not where I'm at. Behold, let's look at Luke 10, 19. Behold, I have given you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall injure you. As Christians, we have been given authority over the enemy. He does not have authority over us. However, our authority over the enemy is not automatic. So let's break that down. When we tread on the lion, the young lion, and the adder is the same thing as cobra and the dragon, Let's, let's, let's break that down. Lion problems are bold and loud. They come out in the opening, they hit you in the face like a car accident or an unexpected bill at the end of the month. At the month. God says that we will tread on them and they, they will not tread on us. Young lion problems, let's look at that. They come against you to destroy gradually, subtly, negative thoughts that tell us we're not uh, we will not survive or that our spouses no longer loves us or we don't fit in, we're not worthy, we're not smart enough. Whatever the case may be, it's a gradual thing. That's why you got to stay in this word. Because if it's gradually sneaking in, that means something, 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 something's off. Okay? Cobra problems, which is the adder, are those that sneak up on us like a snake in the grass through our day, which minding our own business an undercover attack, a deceptive scheme that helps us blind it until it devours us. Dragon problems, that Hebrew word is in the strong concordance as sea monster. Fictitious or instinct like a dragon. Have you ever had a fear that was totally undergrounded? A, a figment of your imagination, just like I was saying the, when I was driving, the wrecks, I saw myself on a gurney. No longer are we to put up with the fears that once gripped our heart and let us powerless at the sight of the evil. Those strongholds, remember their ideas, remember their reasons, their things that, that, are, that, that keeps you from following God. God has given us the power and authority and these problems now have to submit to the authority of Jesus' name. Psalms 14, we're almost home. 
because he has set his love upon me. Therefore, this is God saying, because we have set our love upon him. Will I deliver him? I will set him on high because he have known my name. In this passage, God speaks to us personally from the secret place announcing promises in the first person. So he's speaking prophetically to each one of us directly denoting specifically more depth in the relationship. It also helps us, helps me to set my love upon him, knowing that I know he's my protector. But I got to get it in my heart and know that if there's anything that I am, you know, I used to be afraid that I didn't have a calling on my life. I was denying and I wasn't really afraid. I was denying it. But I'm sure of that. I don't know what it is. No, I don't. But I'm up here. I'm doing what God asked me to do. He will show me the way. When we set our love upon him, the promises come into effect that God is indulgent with his promises to the one he loves, to the one who loves him. Love is the comprehensive that binds man to God. And God will be faithful to his beloved. Love always requires presence in nearness. Only an encounter with the Lord and time spent with him will cause one to lay hold to the promises that the word says. So I'm asking you right now, do you really love him? Jesus asked this of Peter. Do you love me, John, in John 21, 15? Can you imagine how Peter must have felt when Jesus questioned him three times? Because he didn't see the action. So we might need to question ourselves because these promises are made only to those who have genuinely set their love on him. And he talks about the promises um, in, the next, in, in, in these three verses. A promise of deliverance is the first of the several promises made to the one who loves God. He said set, that he set his love upon him. We got to make it personal. I called it like this because I love you. Lord, I thank you that you have promised to deliver me. So what does he need to deliver you from? Life-threatening attacks, which are the lion problems. Constant harassment, which are your young lion problems. Sneaky attacks, which seem to come out of nowhere. Or the cobra problems. Imaginary fears, past fears, vain imagination, the dragon problems, terror by night, the evil that comes through man, the war, the terror, the violence, enemy assignment, sin to wound, that is the arrows that fly by day, the plague, deadly disease, fatal epics, the pestilence, evil is over which man has no control, the destruction. In other words, God wants to deliver us from every evil known to mankind. That's the promise that he's for me, and I thank him that he's in, he's the God of deliverance. He's for each and every one of him, us, we just have to trust him. The second promise, he has loved me. I will set him on high because he knows my name. What all is there to know about his name? We got to get in his word to know his name. He, in, in Old Testament, he has other names that are revealed through one of his covenants name, his name revealing himself, Jehovah Jireh is above, lack. Jehovah Rapha is higher than sickness. 
Jehovah Shalom. It's about restless mind. We see the theme of his names above all names. These promises come out of a norm relationship. This is not a God with whom you don't interact with, that you only call on when you need him. It's, you got to believe it so the promises can come. How often do you sit and talk with him? How often do you get in his presence? How often do you read his word? The third promise God makes is in verse 15. Let's read it. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. Are we aware what a wonderful promise God is making to us here? I don't know about you, but nothing gives me more comfort than to realize that every time I pray in line with God's word, he hears me. And if he hears me, I know I have the request for which I've asked. I just, I see it all the time. This is one promise keeps me continually searching his word. In order to understand his will and his promise, so that I can know how to pray more effectively. The fourth promise is, I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him. To rescue from trouble, those who love the Lord is found right there in the middle of 15. It is a well-known fact that human nature cries out to God when we're faced with trouble. Think about it. When we're usually run to the ones we love the most and the ones we trust when we are in pain, this verse actually acknowledges that calling out to God when we're in trouble is a good place to start. God has a great deal of variety in his plentiful means of protection. God answers our prayers and rescues us in so many ways. I'm so thankful that he is creative and not limited by my seemingly impossible situations. We have to ask in faith and not confine him to our limited resources. He wants to give us above and all that we could ever think of. He's anointed our head with oil and our cup will runneth over. The fifth promise, I will honor him. The fifth promise to honor those who love God is the last part of verse 15. Think about it. All of us like to be honored, whether it's in school, at work, or by our spouse, or by our children. But being honored by men is nothing compared to being honored by God. It's truly mind-boggling for me to think that God would tell me that he wants to honor me. Honor is a unique gift that he gives us, those that love him. It's called favor, too. The sixth promise with a long life, God states he will satisfy those who love him with a long life. God wants us to claim the promise of long life, but also wants us to use that long life for him. Ask yourself, what am I going to do with this long life? Am I going to serve the Lord with all of my heart? Am I going to be the disciple that Christ has called me to be? Or am I just going to sit there? Or am I going to get down and humble myself and pray about everything in prayer and supplication and let my requests be known? For me, I want my life to count for him and his kingdom work. 
to fulfill the calling that he has on my life and to be used as his vessel in places that I have not even imagined. So I thank you, Lord. His salvation is the seventh promise. It's found in the last part of 16. With long life would I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Behold means to see something and take hold of it and make it your own. God wants us to take hold of his salvation. I see Psalms 91, the last verse described as the ultimate final victory. This sentence gives us promise that we will see the salvation face to face during and after the long satisfied life. Salvation includes our health, it includes healing, it includes deliverance, rescue, safety, protection, and provision. His word says, take no thought of what you shall eat, what you shall drink, or what you will wear. I know what you stand in need of. So if we trust God and believe God, we know that there is salvation that we can be healed, that we will not be afraid, that we can cast our cares upon him and he will suffer the righteous, the foot to be removed, to be moved, not to be moved. Many times, but God rests upon my heart to recite Psalms 91. I didn't want to just put my eyes on it and read it. I wanted to understand it. I encourage all of you all to pray that you understand, that our under, I pray that all of our understanding will be enlarged to realize all that salvation makes available to me, to us. I choose to walk in faith and not in fear. And I choose to spend time daily with, with you, God, in this secret place that you have for me, the dwelling place to protect over my life. And I'm done. Thanks.